Good afternoon and happy Sabbath, everyone. It's good to see you. As you can tell, the uh, the title for the message is called Happiness is the Truth, uh, version 2.0. Uh, Jinha, uh, a handful of months ago, talked about how happiness is the truth and the misconceptions of happiness uh, that we kind of tend to cling to as a society. And today, I kind of want to build on that idea and actually talk about uh, what it means to actually experience happiness in our lives. And so before we start, I'll just invite you to join me for one more word of prayer, and um, we'll open God's Word together. Father in heaven, as we discuss this uh, topic, I just want to pray that you would give me clarity of thought, and that um, as I share, I just pray that your spirit would really be able to bring home the truths of this message. And so I ask these things in your name. Amen. There's a man by the name of uh, Sean Anker, and he recently, or not recently, he did a TED Talk um, on this topic of, of happiness. And <coughs> he starts the presentation by sharing uh, this graph. And uh, Sean Anker is a, is a researcher from Harvard University. Um, he works with different businesses. Uh, he works with the military. He works with education systems to try and uh, encourage excellence in the students or in, the, in their employees or um, just in general. And so... He starts with this graph, which he calls the cult of average. And he's a positive psychologist. And what he says is there are two ways of looking at uh, statistics. One is focusing on the average or uh, a main group of people which involve the statistic. Or you can look at the outlier. And what he posits is with positive psychology, if you study the average, you will mainly uh, remain average. But if you study the outlier, then you can glean uh, information on what makes this individual so special or so exceptional. Um, Now, positive psychology recognizes that focusing on the average is good in certain circumstances. But when it comes to finding out um, how to elevate creativity, how to elevate productivity, uh, positive psychology studies the outlier. And so generally when someone might ask the question, uh, we want to teach students how to read. One say, state, how can we, uh, what is the average speed in which a student learns how to read in a specific classroom? A positive psychologist would look at the quickest learner and ask the question, what made this student learn the quickest? Uh, how, what made the difference in this student's life? What made the student resilient in the face of difficulty? And how fast can we teach children how to read in a specific um, learning environment? So rather than studying the norm, positive psychology studies the outlier. (coughs) Now, the portion of the talk that interested me uh, was when he got to the part about uh, finding happiness in difficult circumstances. And um, there's a quote that Sean Archer um, gives, and I thought it was quite interesting. It says, It's not necessarily the reality that shapes us, but the lens through which your brain views the world that shapes your reality. And if we can change the lens, not only can we change your happiness, we can change every single educational and business outcome at the same time. And he's talking about productivity and creativity. And I wonder if this is also applicable to spiritual and relational outcomes as well. Now, there are a couple challenges that we face whenever we look at... um, yeah, it's seeing happiness in the midst of difficult circumstances. One is how we interpret the world. And um, 
Basically, this means um, depending on the kind and the amount of information that we focus on, that will affect our perception of reality. And so uh, I don't know if you've ever gone through that moment where you're at the doctor's office and you're reading through the chart with different symptoms and you kind of, you're like, I wonder if I have that. And you're reading through the chart and I'm kind of like, is that a lump? Like, what's going on here? And so like, there's always that moment of like, wait, I'm, I'm receiving all this information. Can I relate to this information? Uh, I looked at the first 10 online news articles on The Age this morning, and these, this, is, uh, this is what came up. Uh, the first uh, headline is, police officer shot at abortion clinic. Uh, the next one was, she walked into an airport restroom and never came out alive. You keep going down. Uh, this one particularly was of interest to me. Driver mows through Coburg Mall, which is right next to uh, Bell Street, which is where I live. And uh, at 7.45 p.m. last night, there was uh, a driver who was inebriated and basically tried to avoid the police and drove through the mall, almost hit a baby. Um, So those kind of news articles tend to catch my attention. And so what happens with the news is the majority of news that we're given is not positive but negative. And what this does is it kind of shapes our reality, and we tend to think this is the accurate ratio of positive to negative events that happen in the world today. And so what we focus on, does determine how we experience reality. Um, When I kind of ask myself the question, why is it that we're so prone to looking at the negative as opposed to the positive, um, I kind of, this is the conclusion that I came to. It's easier to get upset um, or to be interested in things that are wrong with the world as opposed to putting energy into something to make something right in the world. And... uh, for myself, I tend to gravitate towards the negative. There was some research that was done uh, in Harvard measuring the level of happiness of incoming students. And uh, Sean Archer actually did this uh, research. And basically, it started out with the assumption that everybody who would start out at Harvard would be very excited. Uh, it's an incredible opportunity. It's an incredible pr- uh, privilege. And even if a student were in a classroom filled with brilliant other students that were more brilliant than themselves, one would just feel privileged, hey, I'm here at Harvard. This is an incredible, what an incredible opportunity. This is what Sean found out. As an officer to counsel students through the difficult four years, he found that students, no matter how happy they were when they started their studies, two weeks later, their brains were focused not on the privilege of being at Harvard or on the uh, philosophy of the education, but on the competition, the workload, the hassles, the stresses, and the complaints. So interestingly enough, the questions were raised about the research. Why would you waste your time doing research, uh, studying happiness at Harvard? What does a Harvard student possibly have to be unhappy about? And here's the next challenge that he presents. Um, When you understand your external um, circumstances, this only predicts 10% of long-term happiness. So knowing everything about your external world can only predict 10% of your long-term happiness. That means 90% of your long-term happiness is predicted not by the external world, but by the way your brain processes the world. If you can turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29 and reading verses 1 to 14, there's a really interesting story here that... um, that is written, and Jeremiah had this very unique ministry to the people of God. 
Jeremiah chapter 29, and we're going to read verses 1 to 14. Now, it's at this time that King Nebuchadnezzar has gathered the Israelites and he's taken them captive to Babylon. And there's a specific people group that he has taken. He's taken the royalty. He has taken the uh, architects, the craftsmen, the artisan, uh, the artisans, and he has deported them from Jerusalem. And so it's here that God instructs Jeremiah, send this message to the people of Israel. Here's what the message says, verse 4. This is what the Lord of heavens, armies of the God of Israel, says to all the captives that he has exiled to Babylon. Now, I don't know about you, but that introduction is very unique. Here's the people of God. They are captives, and God introduces himself as the Lord of heaven's armies. Now, that sounds like a pretty powerful title. And if I were in captivity, if I were in captivity, if I were a prisoner... I would think, oh Lord um, of heaven's armies, why don't you send your armies to kind of free us right now? And it's very interesting how this uh, letter continues on. So he says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem, build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord, for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Now this is very unique. God is saying, here you are in captivity. And I don't really know what it's like to be in exile. I've never been taken captive anywhere. Um, but... I imagine it'd be very difficult to have God say, you are in captivity, now build houses, be merry, marry one another, pray for the uh, prosperity of Babylon. For me, that seems quite counterintuitive. And yet God says, in your moment of despair and difficulty, learn how to look at the positives. It's very interesting um, what... what, um, what Sean Archer says about this idea of facing difficulty or or focusing on happiness in the midst of difficulty. He says here, um, whenever we look at circumstances and we associate happiness with circumstances, it it becomes impossible to actually experience happiness. In other words... Let's say if you're a student and you think to yourself, if only I get this mark, then I'll be happy. Well, once you reach that mark, then where does your happiness come from? Well, you have to do better. And then at a certain point in time, you think to yourself, okay, I've now graduated university. Now I want to get a good job. And happiness lies just on the other side of getting a good job. Once you get that good job, then happiness lies on the other side of something else. And the list continues to grow on and on and on. You can apply that even to uh, any aspect of life. If only I could achieve this, if only my circumstance could change, then I could experience happiness. And this is what, this is what Sean Archer says. If happiness is on the opposite side of success, your brain never gets there. We've pushed happiness over the cognitive horizon as a society, and that's because we think we have to be successful, then we'll be happier. But what he states is that the brain actually works in an opposite manner. The formula isn't once I've received, 
once I have achieved, then I'll find happiness. What he says is, you actually experience happiness in the moment, in the now, and that determines largely the success that you experience. And so when you look at Jeremiah chapter 29, verse four, uh, verses 4 to 14, here comes God with this message, and he says, yes, the challenge is great. Yes, you are in captivity, but I want you to experience life. Notice how he continues on. Verse 10 and onwards. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home against your, uh, again to your own land. And so what God communicates to Israel is, in the midst of your challenge, pray to me, connect to me, get to know me, and you will find peace, and then I will restore you. So notice, he says, find that sense of security, find that happiness now, that will determine what happens to you in the future. It's very similar. So as I was reading, or as I was uh, watching this video, I kind of thought, there's so many principles of the gospel laid here, and I kind of wondered, what about for me today? Let's say I'm experiencing a difficulty. Let's say I'm experiencing a circumstance that I just feel like I'm a captive. I feel like I'm stuck, and I kind of wonder, how can I be happy in the situation that I'm in right now? How can I find this sense of uh, peace and certainty in a time where there is no certainty. Um, I've been kind of going through this really weird, uh, these moments of anxiety uh, recently. And I don't know if it's because Jin Ha's dad recently went back to the U.S. and I kind of feel more responsibility for Micah. But there are these moments where I kind of wonder, every time Micah leaves the house and I'm not with him, I kind of wonder, oh no, what, hap- what happens if something bad happens to Micah? and Or what happens if something bad happens to Jin Ha? And this is... This is kind of a new emotion for me or a new thought or thought uh, process for me because before I only had to look out for myself and then when I married Jin Ha, she's an intelligent adult. I don't really have to worry about anything. But now I find myself as a parent worrying a lot and I kind of think, man, worst case scenario, what would happen if something terrible happened to Micah? And as I kind of read through this message, God ministers to Israel He promises them, I will take care of your future. And even in the midst of your worries and your anxieties, you experience me now. And I kind of thought to myself, God, how do I find peace with you right now when I feel this silly anxiety? And sometimes I think of like the craziest thing, like what happens if a car hits Micah and he's like, right, it's just, I I don't know. And um When I think of this promise, I kind of think, you know, even if I'm worried about the future, there's an incredible promise to us as believers and followers of Jesus Christ that we actually don't have to worry about the future because there is that promise of eternity. There's that promise of, uh, there's that promise of heaven. And I kind of think to myself, you know, if I actually, actually believe that, if I actually clung to that promise, would I feel the anxiety that I feel right now? And the answer is, 
well, yes, partially I still would feel that anxiety because I would still feel a loss for Micah now. And I also kind of thought, in the midst of my worry, in the midst of my anxiety, do I feel like, do I feel connected to God? Do I feel that I know God right now in my present circumstance that he's looking out for me? And as I kind of thought over this and prayed over this and meditated on this, I kind of thought, yes, God is looking out for my family. And that took away a large portion of that fear, that worry, and that anxiety because there was a sense of, God, you are here right now in my life. If you've given me Jesus to die for me, for my sins, to be resurrected on my behalf, why else would, of course you would care for me in this, in this small area of looking out for my family. And I kind of thought, well, in that case, do I have anything to be anxious about? And, and the answer is, Partially, yes, because let's say something bad happened to Micah, then I would still have lost Micah. But the reality is, it would be a short-term pain, it would be a short-term loss, and then there would be that promise of eternity. And so I kind of thought, if I really cling to these promises, I wonder, I wonder how much of the anxiety would go away. And uh, this week, as I've been just kind of meditating on these passages and meditating on these ideas, there was this sense of, God, you are here. God, you will be here in the future for me, and you have incredible promises for me in my life. And I kind of wonder if, uh, if you've gone through those moments of worry, anxiety, and concern, and if you know that God is here for you now, that he has given you Jesus Christ, there is no greater gift that he could possibly give you, and there is also that promise of eternal life, then how much of our anxiety, how much of our worry would we still cling to? There are a few um, suggestions that uh, Sean gives about um, changing our mindset from being negatively wired to positively wired, and I want to share these with you. First, he says, if you write down three new things that you're grateful for for 21 days in a row, three new things every day, your brain will start looking for positive things as opposed to negative things your brain will start looking for positive things over negative things. Secondarily, journal about one positive experience you've had over the past 24 hours. This allows your brain to relive that experience. And um, I've actually, I've started journaling regularly. I do not like journaling. Um, Jinha, the love of my life, loves journaling. And she has journaled books for me. I mean, complete books. And uh, I have journaled her maybe one whole book. <laughs> and it's just really hard for me to write down, but I'm just finding I want to I practice this. I want to see how this works. And uh, in my own life, I kind of wondered, you know, rather than focusing on the negative, I want to practice focusing on the positive. And it's been a very interesting exercise. And uh, something that's also been helpful is journaling things that are negative, like actually writing down emotions that I'm feeling, and I'm finding that just identifying words to my feelings is actually making a big difference. Thirdly, exercise. It teaches your brain that your behavior matters. Fourth, uh, Meditation allows your brain to get over the cultural ADHD that we've been creating by trying to do multiple tasks at once and allows our brains to focus on the task at hand. Um, When he says meditation, I kind of think of prayer. And um, there's this very interesting graph of brain activity uh, before meditation, brain activity after meditation. And 
the picture that shows before meditation, there's all sorts of activity that's happening in the brain, all sorts of different colors that show up on the image. But when it comes to the brain activity post-meditation, it's actually, the image is very dark. In other words, uh, the brain is a lot more calm, there's a lot less activity going on, and there's a sense of um, peace. And so I have found that uh, after periods of prayer that uh, there's just there's this renewing sense of, God, you are here in my life. Finally, random acts of kindness are conscious acts of kindness. Uh, we get people, uh, excuse me, when we get people to open up their inbox to write one positive email praising or thanking someone in their support network, um, what they say is a great way of predicting success and happiness is a person's mindset, and also the community of net, uh, the network of community that that individual is connected to. And so what they encourage people to do is send one email each day for 21 days to someone who's close to you, showing gratitude to that individual in your life. And um, it's a very, very interesting uh, exercise. And uh, I, I'm not on day 21, but I'm very interested to see how this happens. But these five simple um, suggestions to... Uh, increasing focus on positivity. Um, what uh, what research shows is that when somebody is positive, uh, their brain releases more dopamine. And basically, dopamine does two things. One, it makes you happy. And two, it engages all of your learning facility or faculties in your brain. And what they've, what they've uh, found is that when somebody has lots of dopamine going through their mind, they're able to learn 37 better, or excuse me, 31 percent more. Um, there's 31 percent pro- productivity uh, and, and creativity. Uh, 30 percent uh, for salesmen when they have lots of dopamine going through their brains, uh, they have 37 percent better sales. Doctors are 19 percent faster and more accurate at coming up with correct diagnosis and positive. Uh, when positive instead of negative, neutral, or stressed. Um, And so what they're finding is if you can get dopamine to go through your mind, you become a more uh, productive, creative individual. And so as you think about the different promises from God's word, as you cling to the community around you, as you learn to pray, as you exercise, as you journal, as you write down three things that you can be grateful for, um, it's my hope that you can experience happiness in your current situation and that can then circumstance as opposed to waiting for that circumstance to change so you can experience happiness you know we have a very unique situation here in this church because we have a room full of people that we can actually rely upon and depend upon and i hope that as a church we can experience that same kind of community and support for one another so that we can experience um, the kind of happiness that can really change our lives so may God bless you, and as you discuss um, these different ideas in, your, in, in the roundtable time, um, yeah, I just hope that you would be able to experience happiness. May God bless you. Now, we're going to do something a little bit different this week for our song of reflection. Um, how many of you know this song, if you're happy and you know it? Okay, I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to lead you in singing this song. There are four verses Uh, The first verse is clap your hands. The second verse is stomp your feet. The third verse is praise the Lord. And when the verse goes, if you're happy and you know it, praise the Lord, then you say, praise the Lord. And then finally, the fourth verse is all three. So it's clap, stomp, praise the Lord. And uh, this may seem a little bit childish, but I sing this song 
every Thursday with Micah because I take him to rhyme time. And I tell you what, it just makes me happy. And so <laughs> we're going to sing this song together and relive the moments of rhyme time. I think we've got Micah and Andrew in the room with us. And so if you would all stand together with me. You guys can help lead us. All right, ready? If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, then your life will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, stomp your feet, stomp, stomp. If you're happy and you know it, stomp your feet, stomp, stomp. If you're happy and you know it, then your life will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, stomp your feet, stomp, stomp. If you're happy and you know it, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. If you're happy and you know it, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. If you're happy and you know it, then your life will surely show it. Happy and you know it, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. If you're happy and you know it, do all three. Praise the Lord. If you're happy and you know it, do all three. Praise the Lord. If you're happy and you know it, then your life will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, do all three. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you today and you know our present circumstances You know the difficulties, you know the trials, you know the stresses that we're experiencing. And Father, so many times we want want those circumstances to change. And yet, you are calling us to cling to you. You are calling us to connect to you in those moments of difficulty. And so Father, um, as we cling to you, as we focus on what you're doing for us now, as we focus on what you promise to do for us in the future, as we cling to our community... I just want to pray that we would be able to experience that peace of knowing you now, experience happiness, and then experience the change that you desire to give us. We pray this in your name. Amen.